real human being. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode, the 66th episode of First Days with Mori, Dry Fast, Eat Ass, where we talk about which, free which, movies. Which, okay. <laughs> which I do want to clarify something here. What? When I originally pitched this, because Devin and I were, like, talking about an episode with, with stories about driving and cars, and we went back and forth. When I pitched this, I called it Life's a Highway. And that was what it was called in, like, the request form on the Discord server and everything. And then, like, you ask me, like, what do you want to call this episode? And as a joke, I threw out, drive fast, eat ass. Like, clearly as a joke. Steven. But Devin I don't know what you're talking made... about. This was the perfect um, title. I know. I think it's... Uh, from the I... get-go. Steven, that's you're going to claim that it was my idea to cover cars for this episode. It was your idea, because we were going back and forth. I wanted to talk about The Car from 1977 with, uh, I think it's James Brolin. But you were like, what about cars? So yeah, we're, we're stuck watching uh, Disney Pixar's Cars. Yeah, with Lost oh, Highway and Drive, we get another artistic masterpiece. Steven, I, I just like to remember things my own way, you know? Oh, God, here we go. Oh. Um, well. With that, hello, yeah. everybody. Uh, I'm your host, Ian Taylor. Joining me tonight is Devin King. I'm leaving that all in, by the way. And our co-host and filmmaker, Stephen Beeson. How are you guys hey. doing tonight? I'm doing well. I'm I'm doing well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Aside from the fact I had to watch Disney Pixar's Cars. Yeah. Spoiler alert for our thoughts. <laughs> yeah. On cars. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, but I'm doing well. How, how about uh, How about yourself, Devin? Oh, I'm doing just peachy. Can't wait oh, to good. talk about fucking cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we're going straight from idea. David Lynch to cars. That's how this episode is organized. <laughs> Well, I, I, I just put it in chronological order. I mean, yeah, that's how we always do it, in fairness. Well, oh, you yeah. know, it's, it's funny because I messaged a friend of mine and I said, uh, you know, he's been listening to the podcast. And I told him, I said, okay, so this week's episode, we're doing <laughs> David Lynch's Lost Highway, Disney Pixar's Cars, and Drive. And he said, uh, and I quote, that's how you go insane. So, <laughs> Not from David Lynch, <laughs> but with John Lester. A better place to go cars. insane than on Route 66, which also hey, is, is, is the episode. Perfectly. Yeah, Perfect it did work out perfectly. Timing. So, so serendipitous. And, uh, oh my God. Uh, so Daryl is just writing in chat. We have an old uh, f a film professor from our filmmaking program. He apparently directed a, uh, a movie called The Drive. Uh, we're gonna have to look at that at some point. <laughs> yeah, not this episode though. Cars is more not important. this episode, but yeah. oh no! <laughs> Just, th like, thank you for sharing that, Daryl. I genuinely had no idea that he he made a movie called. Oh no! <laughs> the and, Drive. I mean, never mind. Like you know, I mean, like the car. I mean, that's kind of a cult classic kind of film, but like. We could have talked about Christine. We could have talked about Titan that just came oh, out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we totally could have talked about that. It's on Blu-ray at this uh, point. I could have just run uh, it. Taxi driver? No, no. We're, we're doing cars. Anyway. But, eh, you know, you know the, the fact that you called the original episode Life is a Highway 
how can we not talk about cars? Well, uh, yeah, we have the uh, country music version of Smash Mouth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that, 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 that was a meme I made where it's like, uh, Rascal Flats is the Smash Mouth of country. <laughs> yeah, well. Uh, with that being said, shall we jump right in? Devin, could you introduce <laughs> Lost Highway? Spoilers yes, for so all Lost three Highway. films. Yeah, spoilers for all three films. No holds barred. So Lost Highway is a 1997 film directed by the infamous David Lynch, who all of us stand pretty hard for. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, this, was, this is about anonymous videotapes, uh, presage, a musician's murder, conviction, and a gangster girlfriend's leads to a, a mechanic ashtray. What the fuck? <laughs> I just read the, the, the description on, on IMDb. That didn't make sense to me, which is fitting because the movie doesn't make much sense on, on a first go. When you start to read into it uh, metatextually, I suppose, it makes more sense. And it's, it's really the type of filmmaking I love where the literal plot isn't the point. It's the emotional truth inherent in the characters. So it starts with this uh, guy, Bill Pullman. He's a jazz musician who plays saxophone very aggressively. Uh, which are some of my favorite sequences in the in the film where he's on stage and he's just 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 ripping on a saxophone with strobe lights and just uh, that gave you know, me some Twin Peaks vibes of the guy sniffing the fucking sandwich. Yeah, just just, just yeah. no grace or subtlety at all. He's clearly frustrated um, with his uh, with his life and and his beautiful wife uh, played by Patricia Arquette, who is absolutely uh, smoking gorgeous in this movie. Um, I'm not going to be uh, abashed about that. She is beautiful. And that also plays uh, well into the narrative because um, he's very unhappy with his life. He feels like he isn't uh, satisfying her or himself. He's he's rather joyless, and he will do anything to uh, escape this reality of his that he's constructed, um, which very much plays into the narrative of what happens next. Um yeah, this is just one of those David Lynch movies that I had known about and has been on my list and I just never saw. And man, it was an experience to get into. Um, I also want to note, uh, just rather quickly, this is the second film with Lost in the title that features an aggressive saxophone uh, moment. Because if you guys have seen The Lost Boys, there's this whole sax guy. Solo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, so I, I did watch this. This is um, a first-time watch for me. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was actually pretty straightforward as far as Lynch goes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, as far as Lynch goes, that's the thing. <laughs> Compared yeah, to other directors, right. it's still out but there. No, I mean, I, I I enjoyed it. I I don't know. There there's something about it. Like I think I preferred it to Blue Velvet. Which is, you know, pretty high praise, but I don't think this is necessarily his best. I think, and we talked about this with Cronenberg's uh, Crash, um, and I know I'm kind of contradicting myself here because I loved Crash, but it's almost like Lost Highway is one of those films where it's a transitional film. He's going from this one part of his career that he's very serious about, and he's kind of exploring this theme and you know now he's kind of moving away from that and he's going into this other you know kind of territory that he's going to focus the next half of his career on and uh well, there 
it's it's very fitting that it's Lost Highway then that it's like a, a bridge kind of between places. Yeah. Like it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's it's definitely about point A and point B. Yeah, yeah. No, this is definitely um, very. It it feels like a blueprint for what would become uh, Mulholland Drive and yes, what would become so. a lot of uh, Twin Peaks: The Return or a lot of what would become Inland Empire. It's definitely got those like ingmar bergman persona vibes you know mm-hmm. oh, absolutely and it's crazy because i got familiar with uh blue velvet and i got familiar with inland empire kind of around the same like time and and i'm like how did he go from this to this i wonder and it's these films in between that i just never saw and yeah i can absolutely see that transition i, I did also finally see Holland drive and man that was just... oh yeah, an interesting, beautiful movie that we'll have to talk to at some point. But for sure, oh, Lost definitely. Highway, Lost Highway has a vibe all, all, all into itself, though. It's, it's really hard to describe. It's one of those things you just have to experience. It's very surreal, very yeah. surreal, and it it does work. I mean, there's a lot of mm-hmm. like there's a lot of moments that I, I don't know. It's a lot of the emotional weight, even when it doesn't make perfect sense, it still feels well earned. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't feel like a voice shouting nonsense. It feels like a consistent voice that you just feel the urge to go along with and dance to its tune. Exactly, yeah. You kind of have to meet it on its own terms. Mm. It it is kind of like, it's still playing into what Lynch was doing in his early work with like this kind of uh, lampooning of 1950s Americana, (laughs) like sitcom, soap opera-y stuff. There's this entire bit where Robert Loja pulls over for tailgating and just beats the shit out of him. And it is <laughs> oh, so over the scene. top and hysterical. Yeah. But so at the crazy. same time, I mean, for all of its kind of like steady, gritty, noir elements and this kind of weird um, idiosyncratic sense of humor, like it's really fucking well done. Mm-hmm. And it is, I, I mean, I think it accomplishes what it sets out to do. Yeah, uh, I think I'm in full agreement as well. It was more straightforward than I was expecting. I, Very I think, much so, yeah. I, I don't <laughs> want to... Let, 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 let's, yeah. let's try to recount the plot as best we can. Mm-hmm. So this couple lives in this uh, kind of expensive mansion, yep. and um, they start getting these anonymous videotapes left on their front porch, and yeah. they look at it, and it's like footage of their house. That gets more and more in, yeah. uh, invasive as they watch and progress, which um, Fred himself may or may not be creating, or it may or may not be representing his reality that he's trying to um, Avoid. disassociate from. Yeah. Uh, it's also alluding to the, about it. Yeah. Well, it's also alluding to the idea that there's some infidelity on her part, because Patricia oh, yeah. Arquette, his wife. There's something there that that he can't quite satisfy her sexually, and there's actually a sex scene in the beginning that ends with this very uh, humiliating, sort of condescending, like, pat on the back, like, hey, you tried. The most awkward Uh, sex scene ever. Oh, very that was awkward. great. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it, I mentioned this before, where sex drives me crazy if it doesn't serve a narrative purpose, but that like a hundred percent serves a narrative purpose. I think that's kind of what the film is about. Is I didn't really take any of it literally. It's all just exaggerated forms of the main character's insecurities. 
Like I was gonna mention this when he was playing jazz, but I don't think that was he was actually that bad. I just think he views himself as being that bad and being embarrassed by the crowd and <laughs> just ripping into this saxophone, not really knowing what he's doing. Like that's how well, I kind he, of interpreted I the movie for myself. Well, he, he, he's playing it well. Like there's a lot of technical skill with at least the the recorded sound of him playing. Like if you actually watch him playing, I don't know if he actually is playing it. I'm not oh. a saxophone expert, but <laughs> you know, I, I I do tend to pick up when when musicians are actually playing their instruments or not. But there it isn't very musical. It's just very. It's just like a barrage of of very aggressively played notes. So there isn't. Yeah. Much, um, and you know, and that's fun uh, in 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 small bursts. Like if you want to have that kind of aggressive flavor to it, but there's no kind of cohesive uh, melody kind of stringing it together that makes it. Well, musical. and see, I oh, didn't exactly. even know. And, it and, and that's was... that's just jazz, as Daryl points no. out. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Like I jazz. didn't even know if he was no. necessarily bad. I thought maybe it was like a. Well, well that's how I interpreted like it. Of... Not necessarily bad, no. but just like I, well, I don't I know what I'm doing. You if know, he's technically, maybe like a performance it, it, like, like, artist, like uh, avant-garde jazz guy. I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's I mean, very it's very surreal, and it kind of fits with the uh, with the whole film. But there, 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 there are bands that are really talented, but almost play bad on purpose as a joke. Like if you ever see, that's to what Trout, I was. Yeah. If you ever listen to Trout Mask Replica, those are excellent musicians purposely trying to sound awful, and it's. Yeah brilliant and i love it are um, they the guys who did that video with the cowboys screaming the guy was just like because <laughs> those guys are great too like those guys uh, are actually oh yeah i'm sorry it's clearly meant to represent that there is something off in his life that he is just not happy about where he is mm -hmm. right yeah. so he's, he's having these insecurities his wife may be cheating on him and his wife takes him to a party where we're introduced to this uh, mystery man who is played by uh, Robert Blake, who uh, was in Beretta and a host of other things back in his day. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> had an experience that uh, you know probably mirrors this film in some way, and we'll we'll discuss that later. We uh, met before, haven't we? Yes. Uh, he has this weird interaction with this mystery man who may or may not be the uh, man who is videotaping him and his wife in these moments in their house. Um, and immediately after that, it's alluded to that Bill Pullman's character murders his wife mm -hmm. uh, because of all these insecurities and the hauntings and the you know, weird mystery man who makes him call his house and he's at the house and at the party at the same time. Very creepy. Yeah, very creepy. And uh, for what it's worth, I mean, fantastic performance from Robert yeah. Blake. Who, and apparently, uh, I, I think they gave him, like, uh, lines. Like, they fed him lines behind the camera and it just adds so much to his performance because he looks so... Like, he doesn't even look human. Like, he looks so robotic when delivering his lines that it actually really yeah. adds to the creepiness of his character. Right. And so this is where the film kind of <laughs> takes a turn. He's convicted of murdering his wife. He's sent to prison. They're going to electrocute him, um, you know, sentenced to death. And he wakes up in his prison cell as a totally different character. 
Yep. And that's where the film kind of very I mean, as drive. If to, yeah, right. As if to say the film wasn't surreal before, you know, that's really this bizarre shift in, I don't know, necessarily tone, but, you know, in a way, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, he, he's basically so steeped into denial that he, ba that he basically becomes a different person. Yeah. That's how I saw it. Himself a, he's, yeah, like he's, a, a, a fresh start as, as this, I, as this character, he wishes he was, I guess, like a younger kind of, yeah, who, more, um, who is played by, uh, Balthazar Getty. And yes. he, he's completely disassociated himself. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, it is very Mulholland Drive. Um, yeah, the tone just completely shifts in the second half of the story to kind of reflect what the character is going through. Yeah, no, I, definitely. And I, I think, like I said, I think this is a good, like, groundwork for mm -hmm. what he's going to do later in his career. I feel like, I feel like this is the the proving ground. Like if he can do this, this is where you know he gets the courage to be like, okay, I'm gonna go do Mulholland Drive now. I think, and that's really interesting because at the time that this was released, you shared um the uh, review that Sister Niebuhr did, and they uh, just weren't vibing with it. They're like, I think oh, he's yeah. being too clever. Or they they, they they weren't sure that it came together in a cohesive way. Like, they didn't get, I, I would say, what he was going for, I guess, at the time. And maybe it was kind of ill-defined for himself even then. But when you see what he did later with Mulholland Drive and then you look back, it's a lot more clear what... Uh, well, okay, what and it's also, worth, it's also worth noting that this was a real rough period for Lynch. Um, the last film that he had done prior to this was Twin Peaks Firewalk with Me, which I loved. I think it's one of his best films. Oh, me too. Um, but, but at the time, it was not met well. Uh, the reviews for that film were probably worse than this film. Yeah, a lot of fans were disappointed also, too. And also, simultaneously, while you know he was kind of going through like, you know, Twin Peaks Firewalk with me didn't work out. I don't know if Wild at Heart really worked out. I I, I loved it when I saw it, but I, I don't know the reaction at the time. Um, so he's kind of like, he's navigating a few failures. And on top of this, there are people um, that are taking his work and kind of making it their own in a um, you look at, like, Oliver Stone had a series on at the time called Wild Palms, which is Twin Peaks, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, it's, totally, it's totally not with Twin Peaks. What are you talking no. about? No. No, come no. on. Yeah. That's like saying Deadly Premonition is like Twin Peaks. Come on. Oh, no, of course not. I mean, uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, they're, they're kind of ripping off his stuff. I mean, Oliver Stone even... Uh, took the script that Tarantino had done for uh, Natural Born Killers and essentially rewrote it from the ground up <laughs> to be more surreal, to be more Lynchian. And so what Lynch had saw was, like, the things I'm doing are failing and people are taking my ideas and they're getting praise for stuff that I've already been doing. And so this film is like, it's not only, he's not just proving it to himself. Like, he's trying to say, like, you know, I've been doing this. This is what I'm going to do, you know? And that's a really, like, 
it's a really weird kind of statement to try and make with a piece of art, but I have to admire, if nothing else, just the audacity of trying to like put this vision into a film in the 1990s and just being so like believing in it that much, you know, and for it to mean that much to you. Um, this was also right around the time of the O.J. Simpson trial, mm-hmm. and so he's clearly pulling from yeah. that sort of mystery around could a man murder his own wife? Yeah, over cheating, you know, getting cheated Yeah, exactly, on. yeah. And, you know, if you ask Lynch himself what this movie means, he'll, he'll probably deny any of those interpretations, and he'll... And, and, and he'll kind of make you kind of dig to, to find this yourself. So this is all kind of other people's way of looking at it, but it kind of ma- makes sense and it adds up. Um, and Lynch is sure. always very intentionally cryptic in uh, the meaning of his films. And if you ask him what it's about, he just uh, won't uh, explain. He'll, he'll explain the plot yeah, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, but and I think that's great because it allows us to kind of really explore what the meaning of this oh, yeah. is. And you look at no it one things way. happening at the time. And... And I think that's the best way to engage in any kind of artist to find your own kind of interpretation, find your own level of engaging with mm-hmm. it. And I'd agree. he uh, challenges us to do that. Yep. Yeah. But no, I mean, it, you know, even for like the surrealist sort of elements, there is a lot of technical elements that are just fantastic. It's beautifully the, uh, shot. Like oh, the lighting beautiful. in certain scenes, like when he's out in the highway and it's pitch dark everywhere except for in the headlights. Like that's what going out in the middle of the night actually looks like. Like so many movies you see, like outside it just looks perfectly fine. The outdoors are perfectly lit. You can see exactly where you're going. But that's not what driving out in the middle of nowhere is like <laughs> in the middle of the yeah. night. It's pitch right. black. It's yeah, you, you, you very scary. Very, you have to admire the very poignant and minimal use of like lighting, like you're saying. Like, mm. um, a lot of, of I, I was watching some other movies where they'll shoot like day for night to try to get some brighter exposure. Yeah. But you can tell that it's daytime. They just darkened it in camera, or they add these like giant brunel lamps to imitate like blue moonlight but you can tell that that's just like a lamp on a fucking crane yeah just out, exactly. out, out, out of frame where <laughs> looks so this yeah. feels a lot more naturalistic like yeah there are definitely studio lights being used in places but they look just so naturalistic for in the style of what this film is going for there's and, also like uh like that film samurai cop where they didn't have the budget for any fighting, <laughs> so they just filmed they just... everything during the day <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, great example. Uh, had that had the same budget of Lost Highway, right? Totally. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right. But um, it also has a great score. Trent Reznor did the music for this movie. I didn't know that going yeah. in, but it really, yeah, and it fits I, I very, it fit. very well. But it kind of reminded me of the climax score a little bit. Like oh, it kind of yeah. reminded me of Gaspar oh, Noé's yeah. music or Irresistible's music. It had that kind of tone to it, and it added. Did like the say, mystery man's theme. Did you? Did sorry, you irreversible. I am so oh sorry. God, irreversible. <laughs> irreversible. Okay. irreversible. You, 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 you don't want to mix those movies up, but no. I, I, I just want to point out, Derek. Uh, no mentioned uh, Peter Deming. That was the cinematographer who's behind yeah. us. Yes, thank he you. He lends it beautifully. But also, um, back on the music, like you were saying, I love the opening track from David Bowie. I'm doing. Oh yeah. Oh, I um, forgot about that. Such a mood setter. 
Yeah. Oh, Ramstein. Ramstein goes hard in this. Like I forgot. Is yeah. it Ramstein or Rumstein? Rumstein. I, I don't know. It, uh, they make good music. Uh, very aggressive German heavy metal. So, um, and it fits. There's a lot of that kind of like nine inch nails. Uh, Marilyn Manson even makes a non-speaking cameo in this. So it's yeah. definitely <laughs> inspired oh. by that era. Yeah, um, it's just I just entertaining picturing like this fifty-year-old man going like, I want. Ramstein in my movie. I want Trent Reznor. It's like Stanley Kubrick, who was like, "I want this metal band to play in my movie about AI intelligence." <laughs> this sixty-year-old man I, is just yeah. like, "I'm vibing with this music, man." No, I, I like it when people of like the older generation will listen to new stuff and and find their own oh, yeah. voice in it and find their own thing. Like I, I hope that I'm that when I'm at that age. I don't want to be nostalgic about the time period I grew up in. Uh, I, I want to. Just, you know, whatever was good music from my time growing up and whatever is good music being made currently, I want to be open and listening to all of it and finding new well, ways Lynch to himself, Like Lynch himself even uh, talked about at one point directing a music video for Kanye, which is... <laughs> he likes Kanye West. Like, unironically likes Kanye West, apparently. Like yeah, he mentioned it before, yeah. I think on his, like his weather channel, <laughs> he was like, uh, if you listen to Kanye West's uh, amazing new leaves. album lately. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and blood on the leaves. That's a great sample from uh, Billie Holiday's song, uh, which is uh, yeah. "Strange Fruit." Such a beautiful song. He always has great um, choices in music and sound. Like the sound is really I remember creepy. Seeing, uh, I remember seeing a Q and A, and he just offhandedly mentioned cigarettes after sex. I'm like, holy shit, he knows who they are. <laughs> yeah. He literally well, me. Yeah. You, if you see Twin Peaks: The Return, um, this isn't really a spoiler, but in the third season, that that Return, um, every episode ends with a concert performance. Yeah, and it's, oh. it's, it's basically music really, video. Yeah, no, it's it's really incredible to see his taste. Um, I think episode eight even has like, like ten minutes of just Nine Inch Nails jamming, and it's it's really, yeah, it, it is incredible. You can to, tell he has a love to... and passion for music. Like that's a part of almost yeah. all of his movies. Like Blue Velvet has the singer, um, you know, Mulholland Drive, Mulholland Drive includes like the actresses doing the musical number. You know, uh, she's uh, the, the one. Alexia. Excellent choice. Yeah, and well, yeah. it's Highway he plays the saxophone twin peaks makes a lot of references to music and listening to records when they're you know sitting down eating and the waitress will just do a really weird dance to creepy music like there's a lot of references you can tell the man has a clear passion for the world of music and that's something i always appreciate that always comes through in his movies one way or another uh great performances bill pullman was oh. really good patricia arquette I, I wasn't a huge fan of her personally. Like, she worked for a character. Like, she didn't have much to say, well, she, <laughs> at least. She's also playing a dual role, which we didn't really talk about. Yeah. Because I, I, but Bill, oh, Pullman, yeah. Bill Pullman plays, like, himself, and then he disassociates. With a different becomes, actor. And I almost and wonder becomes, if that would have worked better, because I feel like she wasn't. It, it, like she tried a little too hard in her other character. Well, that see, came I don't off know kind because of that's silly. kind of what's yeah, that's what's interesting is he becomes Balthasar Yeti, but she becomes like Patricia, Patricia Arquette, Arquette is playing. 
yeah, she's playing his wife, but she's also playing this mystery woman. I, I think it would have been so to... clever if it was just a different actress. And like, they should have cut it's, that it's up. It's a different wig. Her, her, her costume yeah, change is basically The wig was wig. not great. But, <laughs> it, it, well, the, the, wow. this is also kind of interesting, because the reason she took this movie on, she wanted to challenge herself, because she had always been very timid about being nude on film. And I guess um, the, 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 the script of this... Um, was uh, something that appealed to her and it gave her more dimensions than just being nude and um yeah you see you see all those dimensions for sure oh yep. my all angles but, but, but no no i i i don't mean in just like the the physical no sense. no I mean, there is there, there there is like extra metatextual layers to her character and i i love the scene where um he's like having sex with uh, not bill pullman uh bath bath getty and the guy's like saying i want you as if he isn't already uh fully you know in her but then she says you'll never have me and then she literally walks out of the film after that fully confident fully nude and she's like uh yeah it's a it's quite a scene yeah yeah that was a good well, scene it, for sure but i i will say this there's a lot of interesting we talked about the cinematography with uh, peter deming and you know that but there's a lot of really fantastic uh, match cuts in this mm, film. The scene that Devin yeah. was talking about, halfway through that sex scene with Balthazar Getty, he becomes Bill Pullman. Like during sex, he suddenly becomes yes, Bill I Pullman. I love touches well, it's, like it's, that. It's, 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 right, it's, it's right after she leaves and says, "You'll never have me," and then he kind of regresses. His and... insecurities come right back. Yeah, like, but I mean, to pull something like that off in a way that doesn't seem hokey—I mean, yeah, that's, too obvious. That's no small feat in itself. Mm -hmm. There's also another match cut, and I had to point this out to um, Devin because he he messaged me and uh, was like, "Did you know? I just finished watching this, and I was like, did you see that match cut?'" And somehow he had missed it, <laughs> but I had to like go back, rewind my copy, and like send a video of just this shot where Patricia Arquette is touching robert loge's face and then it suddenly cuts to her touching uh baltazar getty's face and it's so subtle and it happens like so quickly you, you could almost blink and miss it but it's even like down to the fact that her nail polish color um in the scene with robert loja to the scene with baltazar getty changes from blue to red like it is insane how yeah. much thought and precision went into just that one edit. Yeah, it um, might be a lot of memento, like, spoiler alert, but there is, like, a, like a really quick match cut where you see, um, crap, sorry, not Leonard, not Leonard, but, uh, Sammy Jenkins. You see Sammy Jenkins in the hospital, and the nurse, like, walks past him for a brief second. You can see Leonard sitting in that chair. And I remember thinking, like, wow, that was such an ingenious, subtle match cut and I kind of this very much felt the same way and they both have like great narrative context behind those match cuts that you can easily miss. Yeah, it's not I mean it's not And it's done super subtle too. Like it's not showy, yeah. it's not flashy, it's just it's they just slip it into the scenery so effortlessly, but once you see it you can't get it out of your head. Yeah. No, I mean this film is I, I, it's like the the thing about this film is it's hard to recommend it to someone. Yeah, and it's hard Most to really are. explain what it is. 
Uh, but man, I, I really connected with it. And I, I think, you know, it's unfortunate that it didn't connect with more people at the time. Wait, sorry, Sammy Jenkins, not Sandy Jenkins. Darryl. Yeah, sorry. yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the Stephen Blowski character is, I think, who you're talking yes, about. Yes, that's right. Remember um, Sammy Jenkins? Yeah. <laughs> Did um, you guys have any issues with this movie? Because I have a couple, besides Patricia Arquette that I wasn't a huge fan of. I thought it was a little too long. Well, I think it outstayed I, its welcome a little bit. It, if it was like been. 20 minutes shorter, it would have been much better. I have like one kind of nitpick, which I know was not <laughs> intentional, but I, I think we kind of glossed over it. Um, Robert Blake <laughs> would go on pretty much immediately after this movie to be uh, accused of killing his wife. And it, it was, well, uh, yeah, it was a really um, public ordeal. I mean, this was... Like, he was referred to as the next O.J. Simpson. He wound up getting off. Um, as Norm MacDonald famously joked, his uh, alibi was terrible because his wife was shot while he was gone in a restaurant to go get his gun. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, it, so I will say, like, and again, this isn't any fault of David Lynch or the people involved, but knowing the context that this guy allegedly went on to murder his wife after this surrealist dark fantasy film about a guy murdering his wife. It, it did make this film a little uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, it makes it better. More, more so. Than, yeah. Well, more so than just the, you know, normal cosmic horror that Lynch kind of, uh, you know, plays with this, this felt a little creepy uh, in a, in a bad way. Um, but that's, you know, I mean, would well, you hold that against Marilyn the film Manson, though? Like it's oh, <laughs> Marilyn Manson, yeah, yeah, you know, he, oh, he doesn't Marilyn say Manson anything, so well. it's fine. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> I, I, I feel like Lynch was kind of tapping into this like subconscious waters, uh, and I wouldn't say saw the future, but it's one of those well, cases, is, I guess, where where, where it, life imitates art. <laughs> it is ironic, though, isn't it? It's kind of like Kevin Spacey and Seven. It's like, oh, he was method acting. Oh, he was just um, acting. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he, he was just being himself. American Beauty is like, oh wow, he's loving a little girl. Uh, that's just acting. Wow, uh, he's really committed. To he's part. really committed to his part. It's like some Daniel Day Lewis uh, shit. Uh, ooh. Anyways, ooh. uh. Daryl and Aaron, uh, you guys are listening in. Thank you so much for doing that. Uh, if you guys have any thoughts on Inland Empire, um, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, Daryl, Lost what you Highway. Like? Yeah. Boy, between this and this say, I don't remember wrong? you guys talking about Inland Empire. I remember, I know you guys were talking about Lost Highway, and ooh, that guy was creepy. Very yeah. creepy, yes. Good way of summing it up. Uh, <laughs> Daryl has never seen Lost Highway. Aaron has never seen Lost Highway. But uh, that guy certainly is creepy. Uh, I yeah. I agree with that. Um, I agree with that. <laughs> that, that that's gonna be my review point? for this movie on Letterboxd. It's just that that guy was creepy. You know the one. <laughs> well, if you <laughs> if you've seen that clip, I would uh, I would encourage you to seek out the full film. It's oh, uh, it captures more of that vibe. I mean, it, 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 even us talking about it, I don't think does it justice. And I think it's a film that even if we tell you literally what happens, 
it really isn't going to spoil the experience of just watching it because that's how. Oh no, we didn't even talk about. There's like a whole subplot with Dick Laurent and who that guy is, and is he dead? I mean, there's a lot more to unpack there than I think. Like, I mean, we could honestly do a whole episode on just this film. It's one of those. That applies for any David Lynch film. It's like we could do a whole episode on Eraserhead. We could do a whole episode on Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me. There's just. In his best works, there's there's just so much to unpack. I'm not a big fan of all of his movies. Sometimes I think his head is just a little too far up his ass and not in the charming way. Ooh. But when he does Ooh. succeed with his films, like his voice, even if you don't fully understand what his voice is going for, it's just something you can't help but listen along to and I, go along for the ride. I, 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 I even love his little indie projects like Dumbland, which was like literally a flash animation he made in like the early <laughs> 2000s and... It's, it's something. I think it's clearly <laughs> him like riffing off of a lot of the really dumb animations that were coming out at the time, and it's just really odd to to look back and see it because it totally looks like it basically is a flash animation. <laughs> yeah, like whoa, 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 XFDF for whatever that fucking uh, flash animation that was yeah. popular on YouTube or a- a- oh, ASDF. What was that like? Yes, uh, like yeah. Homestuck or one of those. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I mean. I, I just like that he's, you know, an artist that is constantly evolving and constantly exploring different ideas and different Yeah, they aren't just, you know, stagnant for their whole career. Like, you can tell they're trying to evolve yeah. in different ways. Either or not, those are good directions, so you can still appreciate the ambition. You know, yeah. the, the legacy of this film is even evolving now to the point where we have to bring up the irony that one actors, you know, it's like... It, it, it's so metatextual and like it's made its yeah. place in cult culture it's, for sure it's layered oh, like an onion uh <laughs> you get it they both have layers ratings uh, I, uh, I love this movie i'm gonna give it an eight nice i'm uh, gonna give it a, a 8.5 i'm gonna go uh just a little bit more generous than uh Devin, but uh yeah. Oh, yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's not terrible. It's uh, it's pretty damn good, but it's it's really. I I feel like I'll put it this way. I would rate this even higher if he didn't make Mulholland Drive. That's because a fair I point. think Mulholland Drive is like the, his magnum opus. Oh, I agree. And I feel like I I think Mulholland Drive being as good as it is kind of knocks this down a little bit. Yeah, but enough. uh, yeah, uh, I'm with Devin on this one. It needs some fat trim for sure. I was a big fan of Patricia sure. Arquette's performance, and it did kind uh, of drag a little bit towards the end for me. But you know, I still thought it was a great movie. A brilliant atmosphere, very creepy, and a very interesting depiction of like dealing with insecurities and desperately trying to change yourself when everyone else around you just simply won't let you. That's how I interpreted it, anyways. So, giving it eight out of ten, I'd say it's about. Eight I'd say it's about on par with like Twin Peaks, Fire Walk with Me, or the third season of Twin Peaks, for me. Hmm. I would uh, no. I would. I would score those both higher than this, actually. Oh. <laughs> but that's a. It's a just like I. I, I just love that all his, all of his films are just so uniquely themselves, you know, and and, and yeah. anybody well, who tries to attach this is almost derivative. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, and I will say the one thing that I did admire about this film 
is that he doesn't do something in this that he does in almost all of his later works uh, where he he really loves to just torture his audience with this slow, deliberate, like comedic pacing. <laughs> like, and I'm like not talking head. about the movie being two hours long. I'm talking about like in Twin Peaks, The Return, there's literally 15 minutes of this guy sweeping a floor. <laughs> like, he just, He's just he trolling like, the audience. Yeah. No, exactly. And yeah. Mulholland Drive didn't have any of that too, though. Like I don't think I it really had. I don't think it like did that. now, and no. I don't think Firewalk with me did. But like even in uh, the first season of Twin Peaks, there's this whole scene of the where, girl like, just Dale dancing Cooper... to the music. Yeah, no. Well, Dale Cooper gets shot in one scene, and then there's a waiter who comes in from the hotel and finds him, and it's like ten minutes of this waiter just like, uh oh, and he like gives him a thumbs up. It's very awkward. It was hilarious. And yeah, it's no, it's funny, but it's so like, oh my god, you know. <laughs> I'm not gonna explain this. Just, I'm just gonna trust you guys to watch this in your own time. This episode of Dumbland, uh, which someone okay. uploaded and just, and just simply called dumb. Uh, same, same idea with him <laughs> having this completely overdrawn thing happening. I'm, I'm not, gonna, yeah. I'm not gonna explain it. Just, just also, uh, it's worth... David Lynch's birthday. Happy yes, birthday. Oh, happy birthday, happy Mr. Birthday. Lynch. How's that for timing? We Happy did not. Birthday, we did not plan this. It just happened. Episode sixty-six. Holy we'll crap! About Lost man. Highway on his birthday. It's it's uh it's the twentieth of January. Happy birthday, David Lynch. This yeah. is this Happy is for you. Birthday. Yeah, and uh, birthday. what fucking Happy day is it? <laughs> what fucking day is it? I got. I got like one question now. Do you believe in divine timing or something? Perhaps. In this case, it, I do. It, it's moments like this that, that make me feel, yes. Well, moving <laughs> uh, from a yes. uh, uh, true cinematic auteur and uh, titan of cinema, we now move on to fucking cars. <laughs> uh, it's my ahead, turn. Introduce this, introduce this film that was your idea. No, I I will introduce this one because. Uh, oh, okay. okay yeah, yeah, no, I I got this, Devin. Don't worry. I I, I made you introduce right. Godfather Part Three. I, I think you deserve a break. Uh, okay. <laughs> Cars. Um, it's a film directed by John Laster and Joe Ranft. I believe this was made after. This was their film after The Incredibles, if I'm not mistaken. Let that sit in. And it's about cars. It's about talking cars. We brought toys to life. We brought animals to life. But you know what else we need brought to life? Cars. That's right. Cars. Cars tell toys. Yeah, you know what? that's I, true. I have to say, but b- before we really take this film down and off, I'm just anticipating. I remember seeing the marketing in this film at the time. And for some reason, I was just really excited with the idea of seeing CG animatronic cars. It was just not a thing that I ever saw before. Like seeing these things kind of come to life, and and the, and the CG at the time was really like groundbreaking. It seemed like you know mm-hmm. I, I I didn't see a Pixar animation that realistic before, and I really uh, want to give praise to the marketing, like the way that they show the poster where it's just like the face slightly uncovered, and it gives you just that little bit of uncanny valley kind of feeling. I don't know. I do like the marketing behind this film. Yeah, that's true. Disney well, knows how to market their films for sure at least oh, back in the day not so much now I, cars what's it about uh, it's about said, yeah. lightning mcqueen voiced by owen wilson 
Uh, it's wow. a very cocky, egotistical racer. Wow, I haven't really seen that plot a billion times. Uh, wow. <laughs> and uh, on his way to his next big race, he loses track because he's a fucking dick, and <laughs> he he tried he couldn't keep his RV driver awake, so <laughs> he falls asleep and he somehow falls out. I I don't know how the fuck that works. Aren't there locks in the back? Oh, oh okay. Um, a bobblehead <laughs> of himself triggers the uh, ramp. Yeah. <laughs> and and he the, and, and that's how he gets. That's how he gets on the lost highway. And he ends <laughs> and he ends up in a town called Radiator Springs where. He meets a car that looks like Paul Newman and one of the worst comic relief characters in cinematic history. And oh, wow. he apparently caused <laughs> so much damage that he needs to repair everything he's done. But then here he learns the error of his ways and he becomes a nice guy by the end of the movie where he goes to his final race. But he's so much of a nice guy now. And well... I didn't like this movie. Uh, it, it's not a B-movie disaster, but I kind of enjoy B-movie more because the theme of B-movie is that it's so much of a disaster that was just kind of an awe of it, you know, like watching a dying animal. There was something, like, fascinating about the madness behind that movie, but this movie is so boring. I was so... It's so cookie-cutter, so, cookie so generic. It, it, and... What was such a missed opportunity is this could have poked fun at the underdog genre. Like, it could have poked fun at the genre trappings. Look at something like the Lego movie. You know, like, yes, it's a hero's journey movie to the bone, but they also make fun of the hero's journey. They, you know, they I mean, say, like, prophecies are dumb and give, like, the MacGuffins really dumb names to kind of poke fun and laugh at them. And even, like, the prophecy turned out to be Disney, fake. though? They are, like, the establishment. And those and other movies you mentioned Even something like Toy Story. Picture something like Toy Story, even, where it's a very unique take on, like, the asshole becomes the goody because the other character goes through an existential crisis. Like, that's something I never really saw <laughs> explored before in a kid's movie. But this well, is just, uh, like, it, it feels like the uh, arc that Woody had in Toy Story, but so much worse and so much more generic and so much so more boring. I, so somehow I wound up with more notes on this film than Lost Highway. Oh my um, God. Let me let me, <laughs> yeah. let me let me explain something here before I get into my thoughts on revisiting this film, um, because 2006, I would have been uh, 11 years old and I went to see this in theaters. My parents oh, paid no. money for me to see this. And I remember coming out of the theater and thinking, well, that was really great. But I don't know if I liked it as much as Toy Story. So I want to just clarify that I both agree and disagree with my 11-year-old uh, self. That, <laughs> Guess which half, um, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was nowhere near as good as Toy Story, but it was terrible. When I watched this film, <laughs> this is something that I really thought about, okay? Looking at Toy Story... Looking at Monsters, Inc., which, by the way, Monsters, Inc. came out seven years before this, and I would argue that the animation is better. Ah. Um, yeah, no, it is, because, and I mean, part of that is because, like, the animation in Monsters, Inc., like, they're actually animating each individual fur. Like, There's more you know, ambition behind it, I'll give you it, that. It, it was sure. still pioneering technology. If you look at the old-school Monsters, Inc., and you look at some of the fur renders Disney can do now, 
it's gone leaps and bounds. Like, it was absolutely a technical feat for them to do it at the time, but it, it yeah. definitely becomes dated um, after a while. Well, I, I will, I will so, say, technically, the CG in this is still pretty good, although some textures look a little flat. Yeah, like, so, I, I thought so the animation was talking, the only good part about the movie, but so, go on. So, talking about cars, um, this is something that really came to my mind. When you think of Toy Story, right? Right. Okay. The story is Woody is a is a cowboy toy. Toys love to get played with. So when kids leave the room, the toys come alive. And this creates a rift between Woody and the new toy, who's like the favorite toy, Buzz Lightyear. Okay. Then you look at Monsters, Inc. And it's like, you know, Sully, he's a big, scary monster. They have to go into the human world and they have to scare children for the the power that it generates, the, the electricity, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's the whole arc is like he actually falls in love with this little child. And so it kind of throws everything. Wait, falls in love question. or just well, grows a parental bond with? got differentiate no, that yeah, right. I mean, not like not like in a creepy <laughs> way i'm just saying like a fatherly sort of love mm -hmm. and you can tell yeah. maternal bond you can tell that with toy story there is a story there about friendship and about brotherhood yeah and there's hurt to with it. right there's heart to it and with monsters inc it's a story about you know fatherhood and becoming this sort of guardian and the thing about it is, in the plots that I just mentioned, if I changed any single detail about what I just described, it doesn't work. Like, if I said they were raccoons instead of monsters, like, it, it kind of falls apart because not only does it have heart and it has intent, but it also has the narrative sort of woven into it where you can't separate the two. Like, if the toys in Toy Story aren't toys... The story doesn't work. They're using that specific concept to communicate these ideas, and it feels purposeful. Now, when I look at Cars, it's the story of this absolute jackass who peaked in high school. He's like, <laughs> I mean, he's a douche bro college guy. Like, he's a frat boy kind of dick. Yeah. And he's a hotshot Hollywood type, and he gets... Yeah, he's a Chad. Like, <laughs> you know, he gets stuck out in the middle of this kind of nowhere town, and he finds out that this town kind of like, uh, you know, grounds him. It kind of brings him back to earth. He's not as arrogant because he's found something like, on a small scale that he, he can family. Yeah, no, exactly. But here's the thing. If I changed anything about cars, like if I said, yeah, it's about a raccoon who goes to live with a bunch of squirrels or whatever, nothing would fundamentally change. If this change. movie was about people and it was just like normal race car drivers, nothing would change. Like that was what nothing was driving me insane in this entire movie. Like there was no justification to why their cars instead of anybody else. Like look at something like... Uh, you mentioned Toy Story, but let's use let's use Zootopia as an example. You know, like all of the characters behave like animals. The narrative ties into animals. Like you know, carnivores are built a certain way, so you know the herbivores fear them to a certain extent as a kind of representation of racism. But the animals also behave like animals. Like you know, like 
Judy's ears why... get droopy when she's upset. You know, the dogs start to howl. It's completely justified as a story about animals, but there's nothing in this movie that is completely justified about cars beyond the movie just making, oh, look at this normal thing, but there's a car version of it. Isn't that hilarious? They do not have 8% like, of the fucking this comedy the in this movie. Thing. This is the other thing. Like, they don't even make any clever puns about the fact they're cars. Like, like not even the not bare minimum. Of, I, I mean, yeah, but it's not like nothing really particularly funny comes out of it. It's like they're cars. But they what about be... Mater? Well, he was hilarious. You know, oh, God. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I remember I remember really liking this movie when I was younger, but th there was a term that I used in the marketing is that it kind of has this uncanny valley feeling, which only expands when you watch this film because you see all these <laughs> landmarks that we're familiar with in our world. Like there's these agricultural fields and these buildings, but if you have a world filled with cars, how were they made and how are they not built like around there? Yeah. Thing? Like like the, the, the fundamental logic of, of this world uh, builds – makes no goddamn sense and this is what is so fascinating and terrifying about the world of cars and people have tried to draw like um, anatomy diagrams of these things like they like they, they have internal organs there is just some horrors hidden around the corners of this of well, this I world think and, this and, 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 and when, when, you, when you look at the landscapes it feels like liminal spaces like nothing <laughs> this is a real litchy well, nightmare. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you bring up the kind of existentialist dread that comes with this, because in the second film, like in doing research, they made three of these films, by the way. Thanks. And in the sequel, Cars 2, they go to Italy, which they kind of allude to here. There's like a bit where, you know, there's like a character called Luigi who's just yeah. literally an Italian stereotype. <laughs> and, 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 and he loves Ferrari. He loves, he loves Ferrari. Ferrari. I think that's why those characters were no, there. No, like they weren't. That's, yeah. that's fine. But in the sequel, they go to uh, Italy and yeah, they see it's the It's just Pope. Italy. They see, well, no, but they see a car wearing a Pope hat riding in the Pope mobile, <laughs> which raises the question. Is he how, using a slave to he... ride him around? <laughs> yeah, no, no. And, I mean, there's maybe some like deeper, uh, you know, like class warfare analysis there. But also at the same time, if you think about this, if you think about this, the existence of a Pope car implies that there was a car Jesus because the Pope hat has a cross on it. How did they crucify it makes Pope no sense. Again, it's just the humor of, oh, look at this normal figure in history, but there <laughs> oh, are a no. car now. Lol. Is not that hilarious? Like, this movie was not made for us and oh, I know it's kind here's of the like thing. Like so many people will complain it, it about us. It was made yeah. for us at the time, but now we're adults and now we have questions. <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> It, it, here's my thing. Like, people will complain about us being like, oh, you, what'd you expect from a 2006, like, Disney movie? Well, three years ago, sorry, several years ago, Monsters, Inc. did this kind of world-bending better. So Pixar already did this better. <laughs> That's also, my excuse. A, also, the character Sarge, he's a World War II jeep. Does that mean there was a car for a war? <laughs> is there a like, is there a car? Are, are, are there car Nazis? Are there car? <laughs> was there's, there a car Holocaust? There's also the, the hippie uh, band. There's also the hippie band to get high on a 
organic fuel. What the fuck was that? Well, this, this brings <laughs> this is up a, kid's a, movie. <laughs> a depressing situation involving the uh, trains, but, you know, it's like... Oh, I have something about that. That scene pissed me off to no end. Like, when he's... I, again, somehow this truck he's in doesn't have any locks, and the bobblehead, like, it, the lock is so easy to open that... I don't know if you've ever been in a trailer, but when you lock the trailer... You have to do it either physically or you hold a button. You don't just press a button for two seconds and it just automatically opens up. And uh, on top of that, like he's trying to find out where he's going and there's this train coming and the train tries to race him? Why? Why is the train trying to race him? You should just slow down and let him go. Or just go at your normal no, no, speed. No, that, 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 that's a real thing with trains though, Ian, is that trains... It's so much for them to stop because of the momentum that they build. Well, don't stop. And, just and, go at your and, normal and, speed. But he goes faster. Like, that's no, the implication that's, no, I no, get. The, 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 the train doesn't change speed. This is a real-world thing, Ian. That maybe you're, no, you're no. It's, they don't change speed. They don't slow down. But real, the implication in know, the movie is that he's going faster. Like, you see this guy. is like, oh, I got to outrun him. I got to beat him no, first. No, I'm like, no, no, that, no, also, the, okay, the train a clearly has a worried expression on his face, and he's honking <laughs> at him to stop because the train realistically can't stop in time and lose its momentum. That's, uh, that's just a real-world thing. Okay, okay that's so. that's fair. I, I'm sorry. I'm Maybe I was just so also, tuned out the, of this movie that I just... Star, you were. <laughs> doesn't the star car refer to someone as a commie at some point? Yeah. Does it, it? I, I, he calls the other car a hippie. I'm pretty sure. No, I thought he said Tommy, which you know, I mean, I mean, because he's like a, See, it's a not just me, Devin. <laughs> How is there as communist? What is like? Yeah, this like world makes no sense. sense. That sounds like, like some commie uh, gobbledygook. Or I mean, yeah, you know, like. I'm... There's so many questions about this that are so uncomfortable to think about now. Well, I, like... I could have forgiven all of that if the movie was just funny or entertaining. But like I said, it's yeah. just so dull well, and so by the numbers. Do, 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 do you know what my favorite point, uh, part in this whole movie is? I love when it the, ended. the very quiet like 30 seconds where you're in Radiator Springs before um, Lightning McQueen comes storming in with all, with all his problems, and you just kind of see this dead town, and you're just kind of existing in this space. It's very, like, uncanny, kind of surreal, but a little tranquil. I don't know. I really liked those 30 seconds in the movie for some reason. I will. It, yeah, there's wow. some nice like the, 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 animation. The, the, the hippie's looking at the light saying, I'm telling you, man, every third blink is slower. And then the star just looks at him. The sixties weren't good, you were they? Yeah, Which, apparently the sixties happened in what this movie. <laughs> what do you mean by that? I, yeah, <laughs> and again, it's just here are normal people, but they're cars, and that's the joke. That's most of the humor in this, and Mater Which... just being annoying. And he's oh, I fucking I, hate I, Mater in this movie. He's I his voice too. is so annoying. He's not funny. He ruins the dramatic tension of a lot of oh. scenes. He looks like shit. It looks like the I worst Uncanny Valley character in the would, movie, and I will stand by that. I would also argue that I would also argue that Mater is a worse Disney sidekick than Olaf in Frozen. I 100 percent agree with that. Olaf can at least say Olaf can say Olaf at least wasn't cringe. You know, he wasn't he wasn't cringe like comic relief. They actually showed us some restraint in terms in terms of his character. This was definitely peak obnoxious comic relief kind of character 
and and I can't look at his face without cringing because of that one video I shared that I'm not going to oh, explain. Oh god. Um, <laughs> Someone, I guess, illegally without Disney's consent, made a a, a mater sex toy. <laughs> with... Oh boy, which is not a sentence that I ever wanted to how say. Do, how, do, how do you know? How do you know it wasn't licensed? How do you know? It yeah. Wasn't so every time license? he gives oh, you a blowjob, no. he just says "dang gum." No. You're done. Said, yeah, there yeah, you go. It, that's just gum. his character, and he has white so much screen time. Like in the sequel, he's the main character. Who wants a movie about Mater? Why do I fuck? It, at least with Lightning McQueen, as dumb and as tropey as his character is, at least it's an arc. At least he goes through something. At least he goes for a change. But Curse well, Two Mater is just being Mater. Like what the? F I don't want to see a movie about Mater. What the fuck is this shit? Yeah, the well, they Bader. kind of like they they kind of. I know Devin talked about the architecture, and they kind of do like, <laughs> kind of allude to it. Like there's like a scene where uh, the the girl car. I don't even remember her name, but like she has a tramp stamp. Like that's a literal <laughs> joke in this movie. Yes. Hey, oh, yes. did you enjoy their slow mo sexy curve ride? <laughs> yeah, no, they, they have that too. But there's also this whole thing where she's like giving him this like come hither thing. And she's like, you could stay at my hotel if you want to. And he makes the joke like, oh, they're hotels for cars that are traffic cones. But cars usually avoid traffic cones, so we're... Yeah, like, that's a red flag. So, you got no. all out of your own, did you? Yeah. No, but it's like, what in the fuck does it, like... No, it's like it's Shrek. Difficult. It's just trying to be like Shrek, where it's like, okay, we're going to make some adult jokes that the kids don't understand, but we no, adults no, but, do. No, but I'm... I'm that's all it is. Purely from an architectural standpoint, how do they... Look, how do they <laughs> You're just really obsessed with the world building in this film, aren't you? No, I mean, no, I'm obsessed with it because they made this movie and they don't have any explanation for any of this yeah, shit. And, and it... I unironically watched this as a child. And now I'm realizing, like, this was total bullshit. I don't even know the kids should watch this. <laughs> you, you, you know what? I, 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 I felt even unsettled back has? in the day. I just couldn't, I couldn't piece together what seemed so off about this because... It did start that kind of line of questioning. Like I was watching this, and I'm like, I, I, I was mostly accepting kind of what was going on, but I'm like, but where, where are the people? How does this work? It, it, like those things even occurred if to me. There's as a kid, no people. Why do the cars have door handles? Why do they have seats? They have seats in the audience. Why do they have seats? <laughs> why? It's not <laughs> with all that sitting they're doing as cars, you know. It, it just cars? all feels like very slapped well, together. Okay. It's all like, don't worry about it. Who's eating it? Who's How growing it? <laughs> well, they make it. They they make a statement about that, like the 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 cars go to a gas bar, but then they have tractors that are basically cows. And so I'm wondering, like, do these tractors? Do you like milk a tractor? Do they like have oil? Seats? I mean, there's a. There's a lot of questions here, and I don't know that I want to know all the answers to That's them. fair. Well, let's talk um, about, like, the movie itself for a second sure, and how forced sure. and annoying it was the plot terrible. was. Everything yeah. about this was kind of cringe. It was unfunny. It really doesn't have a reason to be cars. It could be literally anything. It, it's it's just really another smart. shitty underdog racing story just disguised as well, an animated not, movie. 
it's not even really funny, and I, I disagree. I think the animation is kind of ugly I, in a lot of places. I don't know if I agree I think with that. Is. I think for the time it aged, there were some shots that looked cool. Like, the first-person view shots, I thought, in particular, at the beginning and near the end of the movie. Like, I thought those were, like, well done. Like, if I saw that as a kid at the time, I think that would be pretty cool. But here's the thing. I can't forgive it because it's Pixar. Like, I expect good animation from Pixar. And, like, the best kind of animation you get at the time. But I I, also expect a story. (laughs) No, I will say, I mean, there's, like, that opening uh, first minute or so where they're kind of talking about the the race and it's like i am speed you know he's like hyping himself up yeah that was really like blinking in and out that was fucking awesome and i wish that the whole movie was as good as that (laughs) yeah and the epilogue was like kind of clever like i kind of like how he it repeated that but he's also thinking about like the life he made at home is like that's kind of cute like that's kind of a cute like visual way of showing that he kind of misses the people back at home like there's but there's nothing else in the movie that's like cinematography wise or anything wise that was even remotely (laughs) as clever as that but yeah there's some nice animation here and there despite some ungodly uncanny valley (laughs) animation and a weird amount of ton there's a lot of ton in this movie and I don't like why, that. Yeah, why does he have a tongue? See, I mean, well, he I'm, uses I'm, it constantly. He uses it to try and get to the finish line. It's like, why did I need to see that? I, I didn't need to see that, but now I did. A lot Thanks. Of uncomfortable close-ups of that tongue from like different angles. Because it's hilarious. Tongues it are is hilarious. Really weird. Yeah. One of the animators had a ton fetish, and not that I'm judging, but please don't put it in my movie that I have to watch for a podcast. What, Thank you. Please not in a movie about cars. Please not in a children. movie for children. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, talk about things I liked. Like, I think the voice cast kind of saved the movie for me. Like, Mater is annoying, and Larry the Cable Guy is not funny. But I thought the rest of the voice cast did a pretty good job, despite having some pretty bad material. Like, they fit their characters. Like, let's just put it that way. Like, they fit. Oh, 100%. Owen Wilson, I mean... like, he's not fantastic but he's got like a lot of compared to jerry seinfeld who was so bland and uncharismatic and a terrible voice actor owen wilson gives the guy like lightning mcqueen a lot of charisma and a lot of charm like i wouldn't want anybody else voicing a character like this and paul newman i thought did a pretty good job even though it looked like he didn't know what he was saying half the time like the, the voice actors are giving their all they just have nothing to fucking work with but well, I, mean, I can appreciate them trying, you know, especially compared to some of the other Trek we've watched. Yeah, well, I mean, it's also worth noting that, that Paul Newman passed away, I think, two years after this. this so he may have been like, uh, on a decline. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, he you know, he gives that, it his all. I'll give him that. He really does. And I, for what it's worth, I, I thought his character was kind of interesting. I thought... You know, the idea that he was kind of lightning before lightning. But that's I mean, such that's... a tired trope, though, too, though. It's just yeah, the idea I of, like, mean, the tired... Know, it's but... like, I put... I, you know, I hanged up the saddle years ago, and I don't even want to think about that. I had a terrible accident that I just couldn't go well, back to. I mean, I know, but... But he, he is... cared about the character. Like, he tried to make it work. Well, there's... Yeah, and I mean, there's something about the casting that feels like... It, it does feel purposeful. Like it feels like there was more thought put into the casting than and just actually about writing anything it. else. <laughs> yeah, no, because I mean, Paul Newman totally makes sense as an older kind of you know race car out on his on his way yeah. out. 
And I thought uh, the love know, interest Cheech... was pretty good. Like, I forget who well, voiced her, but she did Cheech, pretty good job. Uh, Cheech Marin is like the Impala was pretty cool. I love John Ratzenberger. Like, he was actually prettier. He, he, he's a good, like, uh, kind of bit voice actor for Carson. The one time, the one time I laughed in the entire movie was in, like, the after credits where they were watching, like, Cars versions of different Pixar movies, and John oh, Ratzenberger yeah. was like, wow, what a great actor. What a great actor. But after a while, I was like, ah, oh, he's just phoning in at this point. It's like, that was kind of cute. That was kind of well, funny. Well, it's also funny because he's like, yeah, because he voices the characters, yeah. super handsome, you know, or yeah. something. I don't know. <laughs> I um, enjoyed stuff like uh, that. Bonnie Hunts. Farland, Bonnie Hunts. George Farland with Sally. loved him. Lo- thought he was perfect. Uh, he doesn't really get to say much, but I- I'm such a fan of him that I just I, I love. Yeah, Fillmore. Uh, yeah, yeah. He he's like perfect as this hippie bus, who's uh, you know yeah. ranting about the government and all. Michael kinds Keaton's of... pretty funny. Uh... Oh, that was George Carlin, was it? Holy yep. Shit. Yeah, it was George I, Carlin. I, yeah. I, I didn't even realize that. I love that. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Too oh, bad they had movies at ten out of ten just because George. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. him and Michael Keaton are in the movie, so ten out of ten. Michael wow. Keaton's in this. Uh, he voiced. Let me see. Uh, Chick Hicks. I think he was the bad guy, if I'm not mistaken. The Kachinka. <laughs> Fucking douchebag. Uh, for real? I wow, think so. Okay. I yeah, think that was his was. name. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong in the chat. If you guys really care about cars for some reason, <laughs> uh, no, he was uh, he was Chick Hicks. Wow. Um, no, and that was that was actually funny because I was when I was writing my letterboxed review, I was gonna put something in there like you know about how that Bazinga is like about as funny as Kachow, and like what a lame catchphrase that is. And <laughs> yeah, then I realized. The film itself makes that joke because there's a guy who says Kachinga, and it's like, how do you even mock this? This film is one step ahead, you know. Um, it's, it's it's so self-aware. It's poetic cinema. It's yeah, it's, oh, yeah. it's perfection. It's, it's a product of what it aims to satirize. <laughs> yeah, it's like Matrix Resurrections. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. I don't want to just completely shit on this movie. Well, I, I what think were things you probably... liked about it? Well, I liked the voice cast. I thought that there was some neat little uh, Easter eggs. Uh, the fact that the like the Pizza Planet truck and they talk about yeah, Dynaco. That's an every which is like movie the, though. The gas station from Toy Story. Like, there's there's some you know there's some like good in it. It's just it, it it's not. It's certainly not up to the quality of their other stuff, and I, no. I feel like this is a rare misfire. Nope. It's inoffensive to the point of being offensive. That yeah, is. Yeah, I have a question for you. So, yeah. go ahead. Stephen mentioned how he loved this film, or he he really liked this film when it first came out, but it wasn't as good as Toy Story. Did you have any like positive opinions of this when you first saw it as a kid, or did you first see it as a kid? Ah, yeah, I just kind of forgot it. <laughs> like, this was just uh, kind of a memory I blotted out because the same year I watched Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Rare Rabbit, and I'm going to let you okay. guess which film stuck in my head a lot more. Wallace and yeah, Gromit, no, maybe. I, 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 yeah, no, I, I can imagine that, that completely overriding this. This is one of the movies uh, that I watched, and, and I liked it fine when it came out, and then I had two younger siblings that really liked it, 
and this ended up just being like a staple in the in the DVD player in the car on car trips. So it's one of those movies I just couldn't get away from for many years. <laughs> you know it's what I mean? Yeah. Chasing you down the highway. A lost oh, God, way. It's... It's a it's a movie that haunts me in my dreams. We need a we we need a Cars mystery man. Maybe that would make this better. Yeah, there you go. Played by the same actor. Released. What's from your person. fucking name? Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, ratings uh, for Cars. Ratings. Uh, four ten. Uh, I'm the same. Four out of ten. It's not the worst animated movie we talked about on here. It's no B movie, but. It's just so bland and inoffensive and cliche. Painfully average, yeah. That it's would just be a painfully good average. And, and I think like, interesting. if you have young kids, I mean, I I think this Show is like a movie. perfect to set them down in front of. Like, it's inoffensive. It's not like yeah, the, the character goes for a narc, which is more than what I can yeah, say about B movie. Maybe <laughs> there is some like lesson to be learned from this. I don't know, man. It's. That arc has uh, just know, been done a, better, even with Pixar. I have a old nephew right now who I had to log into my, <laughs> my uh, sister-in-law's Disney Plus account just to watch this movie. <laughs> and, you know, he's been watching it a ton. So I did the same I... thing. I did the same yeah. thing. I, I asked my brother, it's like, can I borrow your Disney Plus account while you're watching Cars? Yeah, exactly. And, and he, he paused for, like, a whole minute. They was like, okay. I'll send you the information. Yeah. Devin, no, why don't no, you no. give Cars out 10? Wow. <laughs> oh, God. Um... <laughs> right? Um... Devin, this was your idea. I just want to remind yes, everyone. Yes, thank you, Devin. I... This and 2010 is uh, <laughs> the year it, we make it, contact. It, 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 this was worth it for the discussion. This discussion of Cars is a 6.9. The movie <laughs> itself is like a 3.4. Um, there you so. go. Uh, I'll give it that. George Carlin, though, his performance is a, is a total 6.9. Oh, it's all worthy. Uh, it, it, it was worth it for that. It's just so fascinating and weird to look back at the stuff we watched growing up and what was like the the like well, the ubiquitous kind of kids' entertainment and what does that mean uh, coming back to it years later, just looking back at how absurd it is. <laughs> Yeah, I had even posted in the chat some uh, people that had gone back through, like, their VHS collections and uh, found, like, Ronald McDonald. Apparently someone tried to turn that into an animated series. And it's just weird to look back at, like, the stuff that we grew up on, often with, like, fond memories, and then revisit them and be like, what the fuck, you know? What was I thinking? Yeah. yeah. Well, th th yeah. This, is, yeah, this is the fascinating thing about that video that you shared. I watched the whole damn thing talking about uh, this supposed lost like Ronald McDonald episode that goes for yeah. just <laughs> right. money. But also the fact that Cars was the last VHS um, like released by Disney. Yeah. It was, was the last VHS released by Disney and trying to get a copy of it on VHS is a um, is something you really have to dig for and spend a pretty penny on. Near impossible. Um, yeah. yeah. Which is funny Which, because I, I remember getting the VHS <laughs> for Lilo and Stitch as like a Christmas present. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is funny to think about. But, Another uh, much better anime. The, 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 the only VHS that I really wish I had was Episode 3 of Star Wars because oh. I remember that really bugging me growing up that I had Episode 1 on VHS and I had Episode 2 on VHS. But I could only find episode three on DVD. Um, 
What? Just okay, the, the so two. just briefly before we get into Drive, I will tell this one funny story. Speaking about Star Wars, a friend of mine um, found out within the last couple of years that I had not seen uh, all of the Star Wars movies. And he gave me, like, loaned me a, a box set that he had bought that was like a collector's edition. And it was episodes four, five, six, one, two, and three. And so I watched them in release order. I watched the original trilogy. And then I cracked open the prequels. And this is like a nice box set. There's like making of documentaries and stuff on it that was really oh, nice. fascinating. Nice. But then I got to the prequels and the Phantom Menace was missing. And so oh, I no. called my buddy and I was like, hey, I just got to, you know, the prequels. And I was like, I wanted to tell you, I, I you're missing episode one, but I didn't steal it. Like, I just like I opened it and it was like this. And he was like, oh, no, that's fine. Like, you know, just thanks for letting me know. And I was like, yeah, if I was going to steal a disc from you, it wouldn't be episode one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to take yeah. Jar Jar no, I thought I thought what was going to happen was he was going to say, oh, don't worry, I saved you from the worst of the Pico trilogy. I was going <laughs> to well, say that wise attack of the clones was, in there. <laughs> that was probably, uh, that would probably be for the best. Um, Meanwhile, I have a collector's edition of, of Phantom Menace on VHS that I found secondhand, and I spent like five bucks on it. And the reason was huh. is that it included a film strip from the movie. That's and, uh, oh, very nice. Yeah. I remember and it, it was yeah. worth it. It was worth it just for that. And I did. Then episode one was the first one I ever saw, and I did unironically uh, enjoy it. And I still do. Um, although with a lot of caveats, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> I enjoy it. You know, yeah. Attack of the Clones was another film I went to see in theaters. Oh no! <laughs> oh yes. Uh, oh, I don't like sand. Man. It's coarse and rough. That would be um, so boring. I, I, like the I other ones are Attack funny, but Clones so boring. Is visually better because it, it feels they, they feel. Well, more like I don't know if I agree with that. Before <laughs> we get very busy looking sets. Anyway, before we get too far off on this, let's talk about Drive. 2011, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. Uh, this film is a crime drama thriller. Um, it stars Ryan Gosling as the driver. Uh, he is an unnamed Hollywood stunt driver who moonlights as a getaway driver for uh, seedy criminal gangs and mafias. Um, but he quickly grows fond of his neighbor Irene, played by Carrie Mulligan, um, and her young son, Oscar Isaac, stars as her uh, husband who comes back into the picture after a stint in prison, and uh, also co-stars Brian Cranston, Christina Hendricks, Ron Perlman, and Albert Brooks, which is a very surprising casting choice. Um, the screenplay was written by Hasin Amin, and is based on James Salas' 2005 novel of the same name. Uh, wow, I have a lot to talk about here. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let you guys kind of get into this first. But uh, yeah, what do you think? It's, it's Albert Brooks, the same Albert Brooks as, as uh, heard in Finding Nemo. Uh, which it is, is yeah. The same Albert Brooks from Taxi Driver. 
They make a well. They do make a joke about uh, Finding Nemo. I don't know if you guys noticed this. Yeah. But uh, the, they're watching Ryan Gosling and the little boy are watching TV together, and they make a joke about, "Oh, he's the shark, so he's a bad guy." What are there no nice sharks? Which is what's that a Finding Nemo bad. joke? Like I thought that it had a different Finding purpose Nemo to it. Joke. Yeah. No, I don't know if that was intended. Different. No, it was because Albert Brooks makes like yeah yeah it's anyway, very subtle um, this, yeah sorry go on no um well i mean i i've made no secret about the fact that i love this film uh i would <laughs> it's put this literally your profile literally it me. is literally me uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. and i know like and i i actually talked about this um on twitter recently and and on social media it's like this film gets a gets a bad reputation i think because it kind of gets lumped in with films like American Psycho, like Fight Club. It's one of those like quintessential like film bro kind of like college guy movies. I think Big in a way, grind set kind of. All, yeah, all no, there's the there's a lot of meme culture surrounding this film, but I, I do think that like at its core, in spite of the people who maybe misinterpreted it or maybe you know you know didn't quite understand it or maybe it's like the only film they've seen like this i still contend that this is really a modern masterpiece i think this is certainly one of the best films of the last 20 years this is the the story itself uh, i mean it's it's good don't get me wrong i i like it it feels a little derivative in some places, but the visual presentation of this film is phenomenal. And, I mean, you're talking about the way that things are framed, the way that the lighting is done. There's so much purpose from the little small details of, like, the, the color on the wall behind Ryan Gosling and the color on the wall behind Carrie Mulligan. Um, the design of his jacket, like all of this symbolism and and colorful like design, it it's all purposeful. It fits the narrative. It's not showy. I mean, it is showy, but it's not without purpose. And I think that man, I I really love this film. You know what the crazy thing is? Nicholas Reffin is colorblind, and there's so Isn't much really? color in this entire. The amount of trust you have to have in your cinematographer and your color grader to just be like, yeah, no, these colors are going to be the way they are is so insane to me. And well, it, it's also, also it's, it's, it's because he's colorblind that he really goes for these kind of high, almost contrast kind of colors yeah, that, that too. Um, really stand out. It, it, it kind of helps him kind of distinguish things, I suppose. But um, Well, he's also dyslexic, so I think that's a lot of the reason that he cuts down so much dialogue is because he he doesn't like to have to read through a lot of this. And, you know, or maybe he kind of struggles with these kind of dialogue-heavy scripts. And I think, you know, the the novel really expands on a lot of this, but, you know, that was something that he wanted to do, is just kind of cut it down to its essence. You know, like, what is this story yeah. actually about? Kind you of know, like what David Lynch did with Eraserhead? It kind of, I mean, or, you know, I mean, you look at, like, uh, Stanley Kubrick with The Shining would be another example of, like, let me remove 800 pages of, like, fluff 
and let me just get down to like what is this film about and And, and that's what i really admired about is that he he trusted a lot of the storytelling to be visual it's just these little like looks between carrie mulligan's character and ryan gosling's character and just these little gestures that they do and it feels more grounded and realistic and that's the stuff that people meme for, for for some reason but i think that's honestly what makes this film so engaging for me is just these little subtle gestures these little unspoken things there's just this this kind of silent communication with them that is very tangible it's not just them staring at each other there's a lot going on there and i really admire that like my favorite scenes in this is when he's driving in the car and she grabs his hand as he's driving and you know showing some trust in him and that he is you know a good influence for her son kind of thing like i love those scenes those scenes are absolutely beautiful and i think that's what really that's what I really noticed watching it again this time. Well, was... it does something, I think, that that you kind of have to have in a film like this. And, you know, this is definitely um, inspired by films like Thief, uh, Michael Mann's early work. You know, you look at something like Manhunter. It's or, a lot of Taxi uh, Driver. Taxi Driver, yeah. Um, which Taxi Driver, I think, doesn't quite do this. But Thief and Manhunter definitely do. Mm-hmm where there's this sense of humanity. Like, there's something, some kind of emotional weight attached to all of this. Someone, uh, I actually linked a a video essay in the chat by uh, uh, Ryan Hollinger, who is a fantastic video reviewer on uh, YouTube. And uh, he had talked about this film in the sense of violent romanticism. And I, I think that is so apropos, because this film... It doesn't function without both of its elements. It, it, it's it's constantly riding this thin line between the glacial kind of like cold, unforgiving kind of like nihilistic uh, elements of violence and just you know just insanity like batshit. You know, this guy pulls out a fork and or a knife or whatever in a diner and just uh, you know, stabs him to death. But then there's these quiet moments of this kind of intensity and this love that they don't even have to, like, communicate. You just see it on their face. And I think that, you know, it's almost like there's two um, two stories going on at once. And that's an incredible thing to pull off in and of itself. But what I think is so fascinating is that they never feel they never feel like out of sync. Like no. they, they never feel like you're watching two different films. It's very cohesive and it's very, you know, it's, it serves a purpose that we're looking at two different um, sides of the same world. And I think well, I... that's definitely showcased in his jacket, like the scorpion and the frog. I think that Ryan Gosling is representative of both in a way. He's a frog in scorpion's clothing. Yeah, yeah, no, something like that. A sheep in scorpion's clothing. Uh, a sheep in wolf's clothing. I don't yeah, know. But yeah. There, 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 there is something interesting here, and you, you mentioned Ryan Holger in his uh, video essay. I also uh, referenced um, every frame of painting, which is such a great YouTube channel that unfortunately doesn't make content anymore, but all the videos they made are still up and. The, the, these were the videos that really got me into like 
filmmaking and visuals it's kind of storytelling or at least in part like they really informed a lot of my uh initial knowledge and uh filmmaking but um they talk about the framing and the cinematography and how you can kind of divide the frame into four parts and you sort of have these visual stories that complement each other in these uh four corners like if you look at just how Ryan Gosling's character and Carrie Mulligan's character, when they first uh, meet, they don't really interact much, but they both leave an elevator and they both go to their separate apartments. Very, like, inconsequential scene. Like, it wouldn't look like much on paper. But if you divide the frame in half and you look at her kind of side and his side and how they cross paths at one point, there's two complementary stories happening there, and it's all just told visually. And it's just very intentional kind of acting and blocking that informs that. And I love that they trust the audience to, you know, extract from that just from the visual itself without. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, even if you dialogue. look at the if you look at the scene with um, Brian Cranston's character and, and uh, Ryan Gosling as they're walking across this like garage and you see all of these different cars, they don't have to like pause the movie in a sense and be like, yeah, let's take this car or this car or that car. It's like we're seeing visually, it's communicating. These guys have, you know, hundreds of cars for any job they could need. And it's like now we can focus on, like, they've done this before. How are they going to do this job? You know, you don't have to pause and do a lot of exposition. And I know that a lot of people talk about kind of that quiet intensity, but I will say that when the film does have these kind of spurts of dialogue or these kind of moments where characters are saying something, it's still very well written and it's still very effective. Um, the, the argument that uh, Albert Brooks character has with Ron Perlman oh, in yeah, the diner is, I mean, it's dark and it's funny and it's horrifying yeah. and it, it's, it's actually that much more impactful that, there's like this whole kind of monologue that they're going back and forth up until that point, it's been mostly quiet and there's been these kind of moments of dialogue, you know, like mm -hmm. just kind of randomly spursed throughout so that when you have those moments where it's like, Oh, these guys are having a conversation. Let me pay attention, you know? And, mm -hmm. I and you get a whole character history of how they talk to each other. And, you know, there's, and, and and I love the, how all that just comes in a few lines of dialogue that feel very natural, but it, it, it they also work as exposition, and it gives you, like, this guy's been in the family a long time, they've been doing these kind of jobs for a long time, and uh, they, poke, they poke fun at each other's ethnicities, like he's saying, what's a Jew running a pizzeria? <laughs> and, yeah. and you can tell that he's been good. an outsider in the family, and that they still treat him like he's a little kid, even though he's, like, 54. Um, just... Just these little bits of dialogue and that little bit of character interaction just paints a whole picture of a history of between these characters. So you you get all you get almost like seasons worth of storytelling in just a few lines of dialogue, and that's what I really well, appreciate. Well, and it's not even this. it's not even just the dialogue like that. The violence too. It's it's mm -hmm. these kind of like I don't want to say random, but it's like when they happen. It's like holy shit! Very quick, you know? yeah, yeah. It and I feel like that's 
pretty uh, realistic in a yeah, sense that absolutely. it's like you never know when it's going to happen. And some people say like the violence is way too over the top, but I, I think it fits in the subtext of the scenes that they're in. Like when yeah, Brian Gosling, like the girl's head gets blown off and Ryan Gosling shoves a <laughs> shower rod down a guy, like it seems so brutal because that's for the first time he has to get his hands dirty and kill someone. Up until that point, it was all from a distance. You know, he yeah. you know, put himself away from that violent lifestyle. He's just a driver. You know, he doesn't get involved with that. But, you know, seeing the death of his friend was one thing, but experiencing time. it up close and personal is so much more, like, effective. And I think that's why it's so over the top and why the elevator scene was so over the top. Because that was the first time Carrie mm -hmm. Mulgan was seeing just how it messed up Ryan Gosling's life really is. And from her and perspective, it's so explosive and it's like sporadic. a bit too much. Yeah, but, but perfectly like, so. Um, I, I liked how nervous he was when he first had to go up to the guy, and he like hits his he hits his hand with a hammer, and you know he's in this like like this uh, green room of or this dressing room of like a strip club, but your your attention is all is all focused on these two central characters. Just this, this, this yeah. scene is just that intense. It's not like and a, a ooh, that's a sexy scene. It's just your focus on the characters. I think that's kind of impressive too. Uh, well, I, I like also, this. Movie. Yeah, sorry. Go on. The, well, it's also like those women don't even react, that which kind of implies that this has probably happened before. But, I don't know. I think they went too far <laughs> with that guy. Too. No, no, like with, with that guy too. And I noticed this. It's almost kind of comical just how beat up he gets because like his one hand gets like smashed in and then he gets beat up another he still time, eats a slice of pizza <laughs> and, 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 and and he's trying to he's struggling trying to eat a slice of pizza and then the guy just stabs him with a fork this it's, guy it's can't catch a break brutal, but it is kind of funny yeah the they're, 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 they, it's yeah, funny they're... in a sick way for a lot of the movie when albert finney was like uh so you why don't you talk to me before i sign this up before hiring this piece of shit and the way he says it is just really funny to me like this is yeah. supposed to be an intense scene but that caught me off guard uh I like this movie. Well, you you guys are uh -huh. right about what you said so far, but I, I I there's just some reason I can't connect with this movie, and I really can't put my finger on what it is. Like, did the I've, meme culture ruin it for you? No, like <laughs> even before meme culture, like and when people were hyping up in film school, I, I always just liked it, but there was something holding me back. I think it is just the generic nature of it, and I feel like the presentation is great it's beautifully shot there's a lot of great music and editing choices and mise-en-scene i do think it's a little style over substance for me it, it is basically like a b-movie plot but with masterful execution and that's i think, that's, what's I think that's kind of my problem with it too like it thinks it, it it feels like it thinks it's more artsy than it is like i said like i can't quite put my finger on it but something always I... kind of you know what? I, I don't think it, I don't even think it's that artsy. I just think it's. Just, um... I think it kind of is. Like you mentioned, well, like the scene, the strip I, club. I, I, like I've that felt like it's... something out of a Kubrick movie, but it didn't I've really got fit one the scene or the atmosphere. I've got one gripe with this movie, and it's a very technical thing. But, yeah. And it's going to take some explaining, but I'll get into it because I don't know. This this might tie into your point. The the watch he's wearing doesn't make sense. Um. <laughs> so 
I have a buddy that's really into watches, which I thought was a stupid, like, bougie kind of hobby because it's a <laughs> technology that only rich people can afford. But then suddenly I get into watches because of him, um, just because it, it's a fascinating history and the mechanical stuff, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, the watch he's wearing doesn't make sense, and it doesn't function the way it's presented in the film. Um, I forget what make it is. It's some, um, like, Swiss brand uh, with, like, two names – um, and it's a very bougie brand. Like he only would have been able to afford that watch if he did like a really expensive job or if he inherited it somehow. Um, it's a very bougie, but otherwise very uninteresting watch. It's like a dress watch. It's basically just the time and the, the, the second function, like that secondary dial is just the second hand. Like, but the way they presented it in the movie is, is, is if it's a chronograph, which actually has a stopwatch function. And that's what the sound effects would make you, would make you believe. Yeah. And he does this thing where he takes it off his wrist, he puts it on the steering wheel, and it looks really cool and slick, but it's not really doing much funch. Uh, protect Philippe, I guess that was it. I'm, mm. I'm, but I it looks Darryl cool. Knows that. That's interesting. You know? <laughs> but, you know, it, it's a it's a Protect Philippe, which is a very bougie kind of brand that very few people can afford. This, the, These are the kind of watches that cost like 12 grand. And it I just mean, tells we're, the time. We're, we're, we're kind of nitpicking. That is kind I of a nitpick. I am nitpicking. This is absolutely 100% a nitpick. <laughs> But I would show so much um, could have gotten like a, he could have gotten like an Omega chro uh, chronograph or something that would actually be accurate. And this is the, this is one praise that I would give to Christopher Nolan. The Hamilton watches he uses in his movies actually function the way they present. So there's yeah. that. I can't uh, believe we just got this whole rant about. Yeah, that was kind of funny. But <laughs> I think it's kind of like what you said with AI to an extent, Stephen. Like I don't hate this movie as much as you hate AI. Let let me get this straight. There's well, a lot I do I mean... appreciate. <laughs> about it but i i do feel like the style and the narrative kind of conflict with one another like they don't really fit either way like i feel like it needs well, to either be hey, more is, over the top and goofy it's, or it's, it's just one of those movieisms, you know yeah I mean? exactly like, it's not real life it's well, just a movie -ism. i mean to me i i feel like i, I feel like it, this strikes a good yeah. balance and i feel like if you know if it was too if it was like a little more artsy or if it was a little more over the top, I feel like it maybe wouldn't work. I don't know. I mean, there again, we're talking about this whole film is about duality. He's living a double life. He's the scorpion and the frog. He's constantly battling. But that's something that's been done of... in movies before. Right, but in it's my being opinion, better. Presented it's presented in an interesting way, sure, but. I don't. I don't know. I, I don't know that I would agree <laughs> that this is as derivative as you're talking about. I don't know. I think there's a lot more. The, the presentation here. saves it for sure, and no, no, I, I, I guess mean, my thing is it doesn't really no. do anything interesting with the concept until the end. At the end, I think, always kind of saves this movie for me because I feel like I'm kind of drifting off towards the end, but then the end happens. So I'm like, wow, this was really interesting and emotional, no, I mean, and I needed this... more of that. You know. Well, I mean, even the scene where, uh, you know, he has to put on a mask to go kill, like, Ron uh, Ron Perlman. And he stands right that... at his door and doesn't get noticed. <laughs> well, no, it, Again. it's actually out of the uh, Hollywood, like, trailer. Yeah, like, and he stands right at the restaurant's door and nobody notices yeah, him. He's yeah. the only one in the movie that wears the jacket. Again, I feel like that's, it. it he did that because it's it looks cool. It's a cool no, shot, but it doesn't really fit the narrative. narrative. It's the it's the scorpion and the frog. It's referenced in the film. He is both yeah. the scorpion. I understand and the that. Frog. I understand that. Right. 
And he's constantly, he wants to be the frog, but he can't be the frog. The and bad guy wants to be good, and he can't be good. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I'm, I, I'm struggling to see how. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I think... Again, it's if it wasn't explored in, like, a visually interesting way, if it didn't have its style, then the film wouldn't work. And, you know, maybe I'm a little bit biased. There are some films like that that I, I personally love, but maybe it's just I mean, the style I appreciate. I mean, the Green Knight is 100% visual style. I don't like, know all... if I agree with that, because the characters at least add... I Again, it does something more interesting with if... the hero's journey, I'd argue. Like, it at least does something... I want to say subvert your expectations, but that's the wrong word for it. That has so many negative oh, no, connotations I behind it. it. Right I disagree because it at least does something interesting with that narrative. And this film doesn't really do anything with that until the end. But by then, it was just a little too late. As much as I love the climax, it's the best I scene of the movie. Outside the meme song. I don't know <laughs> that I agree with you. I think that there's a lot more to this film. I mean, even down to the fact, you know, you mentioned Christina Hendricks, like, you know, her death scene. Yeah, the scenes uh, of violence when... were great. Like this, no, no, no. Yeah. Like, when you go back and you look, uh, I, I posted this screen in the chat, but um, when he goes to retrieve the mask that he's going to wear to kill uh, Ron Perlman's character, all of those heads, like, lined up on the wall are actually, like, Christina Hendricks um, molds that they would use like for that uh, headshot. That's kind of cool. Practical effect. That's a cool detail. And I feel like no, it is cool detail. And I feel like this film. I, I mean, I feel like there's a lot more. I don't know, man. I think there's a lot more purpose to the style. Like I understand that you know you're saying it's style over substance, but I think that there is so much substance to the style itself. At this times. is where I would say yes. the style is the substance. Yeah, and, and here's the thing: like, there's, you know, the Green Knight, I guess, to an extent, and there are movies like that where, you know, the style is the substance. And you know, I love Greener Grass. Lots of people fucking hate that movie, <laughs> but I personally <laughs> love it, and I vibe with what it's going for. Maybe it's just because, like, while I love the style, I maybe just don't vibe with it as much. I don't know. Like, maybe it's just because the '80s nostalgia wave and like the red and blue lighting and the neon kind of aesthetic is just kind of played out for me, maybe a little bit, even by I the mean, time I, I watched know. the movie. I mean, it it, it like kind of started that trend. That... That's fair. Well, like, it definitely started no, that trend. No, you could argue that not only did it start this trend, but like even the Softie brothers with what they were doing with Good Time. Yeah. Like, this is a huge moment. In, oh, yeah. In... And they admit they were hugely inspired by Drive, and lots of filmmakers were. And sure, even a lot of game developers were like Hotline Miami straight up would not exist without Drive, according to the developer. Oh, this was, I, I mean, this was a huge And I appreciate it for that. Me. And I appreciate what this it's was... going for. Yeah, I mean, even when I was doing, like, you know, my short film, like, this was in the back of my mind. And I didn't even maybe realize it at the time. But I just, I, I don't know, man. I feel like this is one of those touchstone, like, cultural films that that had an impact and i don't know maybe it's time has come and gone i don't know maybe it has i i don't know about that like as it but, still has a huge cult following 
but it does like i think this is up like for me personally i would put this up there with you know there will be blood or mulholland drive i mean this is like when i think about ref and and i mean i i will admit that you know i i struggled with neon demon and i loved only god forgives but i will fully admit that that film is not for everyone um, but this to me really is like his magnum opus. Like this film to me is what puts him in the conversation as one of the best filmmakers working today. Uh, if Bronson uh, didn't I, exist, I, really I would appreciate agree with you. his stuff and I appreciate like his filmmaking and I, and I did find it like very influential, but then someone compared my work to his oh. in an unflattering way. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> like, which I found, which I found interesting. Yeah. It's like, like Oh, thank you. <laughs> But um, anyway, yeah. we, we have Daryl listening in, and he's been waiting very patiently. Oh, yes. I think Sorry about that, Daryl. have some things to say about about all of this. So, uh, Daryl, yeah, uh, you're welcome to unmute. Give me, like, one second. I'm yeah. making a coffee. No worries. Oh, my God. We're, we're yeah. live on the air here, buddy. Right. Uh, no, Real but... quick. I, I just want to say, yeah, like, you there's... Get caffeinated. I, there's a lot I still appreciate about the film, though. Like, I don't want to make it seem like I hate it. Like, it looks beautiful. Like you guys said, the mise-en-scene and the color is fantastic. Lots of good uses of lighting when he's driving. Uh, there, there's a lot of real driving, which was appreciated. Ryan Gosling apparently did almost all the stunts. I think the couple stunts he didn't do was like the complete 180 in the second car chase and one of the turns in the first car chase, but that was it. Like he apparently did what's a lot of his own driving, which I appreciate. What's also funny about this is Nicholas Winding Refn has failed his driver's exam eight times. Yeah, and he drove with fact, Ryan Gosling, and that was the inspiration no, no, behind this movie. It's, it's actually funny because, like, <laughs> the, the, the stars had to take him to and from set, and uh, during this time, Harry <laughs> Mulligan got pulled over for speeding, trying to take him home. <laughs> That's oh, kind of wow. funny. <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I think, like, yes, the presentation is amazing, but. I do think that there is some merit to this story. And I think that there is something I here. Like, I, I, I guess I just wasn't vibing with it. Like, let's put no, it that no, way. It just wasn't for me. You definitely make the case for, uh, like, the Neon Demon, which came after this. Like, that movie is 100% style. It's nowhere near as bad as the Neon Demon. A movie no, the Neon Demon, like, <laughs> that one's hard to defend, even for me. Um, we have Daryl with us. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Daryl. Uh, going off what you just said, I love Neon Demon. I think it's style over substance for way more purpose than Drive. Uh, Drive's a good film. Don't oh. get me wrong, y'all. Like, I'm kind of leaning a bit more with Ian with this one. And I kind of say that because of something you guys said earlier about Lost Highway, which is if he didn't make Neon, or uh, sorry, not Neon Demon, Only God Forgives after this. I think I'd like drive a whole lot more, but I am in the other boat. And like I said, it's not for everyone, but I think like only God forgives does exactly what this movie wanted to do and dipped its toes into. And it was, you know, it, this, he was so much more bold with how much he cut back the dialogue. Cause let's be real. There's still tons of dialogue in this movie. He just limits a lot for the driver and um, like you were saying, Gary Mulligan pushes a lot more like looks and, per and like little perspective shifts that kind of guide the whole thing with him for sure. But I mean, there's some good dialogue between Cranston and Brooks, you know what I mean? Like there's a, 
It's a good shot if that's the two characters I'm right. Yeah, everybody in the uh, garage. But yeah, so like to I me, would, I I would agree that I, I I think I do prefer Only God Forgives in a way. Really? But I well yeah I do, I and I, mean, I think I would. Yeah, I would I would agree with that, but also it's like. <sighs> I feel like Drive is more accessible and I feel like Drive is more rewatchable. Like, I've seen Uh, Drive lots of times. I haven't gone back and revisited um, Only God Forgives. And it's a really challenging piece. Like, I I don't know, man. That one is... That one's a tough watch, you know? It's a hot take by all means. I'm just saying my perspective on everything, and especially leaning more visually and cinematographer-wise and everything. Like, I just... I I, I prefer it. And going into Neon Demon, I actually totally disagree with you. I, I, I... And again, why this film, I'm like, okay, I get it, but when you mention, like, Taxi Driver and stuff, like, to me, that's where there's, like, somewhat of an excuse for style in this circumstance. You know, it's kind of about filmmaking in that way so they kind of go like into like a more grounded way i i totally understand it i but damn now i'm just getting fucking lost but when you come to neon demon it's a lot more about the fashion industry and about what's being put forward and about what's on surface versus what's underneath and i think that being the tone of the movie suits the overt like super like The one thing that I I didn't like about Neon Demon, and I feel like Drive and uh, Only God Forgives both do a lot better, is that the symbolism in those two movies is more um, subtle. It's more like, like I feel like in Neon Demon, (laughs) he's kind of explaining himself too much. There's certain scenes that it's like, I know exactly what he's going for. Whereas something like Drive or Only God Forgives, especially Only God Forgives... On Drive, they say about how good of a guy he is. They literally say about how good of a guy he is. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, but like the the symbolism behind the jacket and stuff. Like like Neon Demon, there's this whole... That's not subtle, though. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, man. (laughs) There's a scene where he says, like, there's no good sharks... It's like no, there's only bad sharks. Like that's not that's, that's a, not subtle. That's it's interesting, but it's not subtle. Finding Nemo, I, like, it has yeah, to I mean... do with his character. Like that's oh, how I well, interpret that. <laughs> I I, no, I found that we're... more inquisitive than absolute when they were explaining that. Are like are are there no good sharks? I don't know. Well, Neon it, Demon, it, it, they it, literally like it, they pause the movie to do this thing with like a mountain lion in the hotel room, and it's like okay, it's a cougar. We get it, you know. It's so, but Neon Demon, I feel like it's worse. But I'd argue it knows what it is a bit more, maybe. I think that's a worse movie, though. I'll I'll Uh, give you that. Yeah, yeah, and I, I feel that because when I got to the end, like it's, it's a, it's a shock film over these two, right? You know what I mean? Like, but it it, it embraces almost a a different beast, right? Like he kind of wanted to make a horror film, and it came out as the Neon Demon. Like he, it was heavily rewritten while they were making it too. So like I get what you're saying. Surprise me. Yeah, and it fits. It like the the vibe of like that journey through the valley like again i agree with you guys the not as great of a film film and story-wise and whatnot but like you know i can't ignore the fact that i like i'm i'm just more of a cinematographer and i but you just find well, no, I get it. It, it, it just wins for valid. me you know? <laughs> I, mean, I, I i i'm i'm obviously a fan of his work and you know i i 
I don't know. I need to explore some of his other stuff. I know the Pusher trilogy is supposedly good. He shot Bronson for like under three hundred grand. That's a which great is... movie. I think oh, that's his best movie. Of. I think that's his best, I, honestly. I need to see it. Yeah. Yeah. I really need to see the uh, the series though, the Amazon Prime oh, series. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Great things uh, about it. Which so. is like 10 episodes i think and they're all two hours long yeah so. <laughs> it was originally going to be a 12-hour movie like no wow. holds barred like a 12-hour movie and this dude was like no make it a tv show <laughs> <laughs> uh, well well thank you daryl what'd you what would you give drive out of 10 see i still really love this <laughs> like I, I really rate and uh, uh Nick but uh yeah like an 8.5 i'd say like the others are just better and i think it's just because like you said it's it's more of a a nor like a more normal film more accessible from him and uh yeah yeah, yeah definitely still rate it high though that's, that's the thing i love like meta commentary the fucking elevator scene guys i know you yeah. only touched oh, that's a great like, shit. oh yeah I'm just that's sitting the there with my jaw on the floor you know what i mean like it really yeah. got yeah. me so uh Great thanks for let me pop yeah. in too i'm gonna Absolutely. go back to my coffee yeah, yeah. <laughs> Take uh, thanks daryl uh ratings, ratings. uh seven, seven and a half out of ten like i still like the movie i still really enjoy watching oh. it i enjoy a lot about it but i don't know like i said there's just something about this film i i can't explain it's just I can't quite connect with it as much as I wanted to. I every time I watch it, I feel like I'm trying to enjoy it more than actually enjoying There's something it. Something about you. Yeah, that's hard to explain. Hard to explain. Yeah, exactly. That's well, some some stuff I feel is quite nice. Talking about you, boy. But you're still the same. Fully reveal my my biases here because you know when we we talked about violent romanticism and uh, I made a short film called Hopeless Romantic so this was uh, definitely something that was in the back of my mind I've always been a fan of this style of like Michael Mann and and William Friedkin all of these sort of like neon noir stories and I think to bring this back to not just something that functions as a competent fun genre film but to give it so much more substance through all of these technical elements i think it's a modern masterpiece i'm gonna give it like 11 10 i love this film i'm I'm gonna be completely unashamed here just trying to break Uh, the group rankings (laughs) good for you man I, I was gonna, I was gonna give it maybe a nine, but then I'd be rating it higher than Lost Highway. Um, <laughs> I don't know. We're all uh, biased towards our uh, favorite directors. Oh yeah, no, I, I, I'll give it a solid eight. I really like this film. I do think that it, there, there is some more subtlety to it than I recall there being. I just think the meme culture kind of takes away from it a bit. Uh, <laughs> all the fucking Sigma male grind set shit I'm yeah, the stare. done yeah. with. <laughs> yeah, Definitely. It's played yeah. out, for sure. Like it's, it, it, it's, it's played out. Like, meme culture kind of ruins it, but the film itself is decent. Like, I, I think it holds up well, and I do think there's some nice, subtle... I love the subtler, quieter moments in the storytelling, and that's my favorite part mm-hmm. of uh, these films. And, and the way that contrasts with the violence does create more impact that way. So I think those subtler, quieter moments really are necessary to help it all kind of come together it's, it's it is it's interesting though because it, like there's plenty it's of that ties the room together <laughs> well no 
there's plenty of memeable stuff about the Matrix or like the Godfather, but it oh, is yeah. kind of funny, you know, like or Casablanca. Casablanca's been sure, referenced so right, many times. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, guys, that was a great episode. That was a great uh, thank discussion. Thank you for having me on. As always, uh, it's been a pleasure. I will not be here next week or the week after that. Um, but Stephen, what's our next will... episode? <laughs> oh, you guys will be discussing uh, drilling movies with uh, the Driller Killer, Slumber Party Massacre, <laughs> and what was the other one? Uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man, which I'm actually Tetsuo excited to watch. Tetsuo the Iron Man. Yeah, yes. of course that one. So, uh, cracked open a cold one with the boys. It's driller time. All right. Uh, I will be <laughs> returning in two or three weeks. I will be discussing uh, Lars von Trier's <laughs> Nymphomaniac Shame and Don John on episode 69. Yay. So, uh, stay tuned to that. And Devin and, has uh, a recommended episode for me. 68. So, I'm looking ah. forward to what that is. Yes, definitely. And I gotta wait till episode seventy to recommend something. (laughs) (laughs) What wouldn't you like to know? (laughs) Oh, Ah, I see. Thank you all, and good night. And uh, is it Thursday yet? Have a great night, guys. Stay tuned for Conan. Ayo.